Today's message, uh, I'm so honored that uh, Wes Bentley's here with Far Reaching Ministries. Uh, I've had the opportunity to go with them to Uganda and South Sudan, and they're doing an incredible work. You know, uh, James says that uh, religion that is pure and undefiled is to meet or visit orphans and widows in their afflictions or their sufferings and keep oneself unstained by the world. And if there is a ministry out there that is meeting the vulnerable, that is really visiting them in their sufferings and their affliction, it is far-reaching ministries. Today, the message is really going to be PG. So I just want to warn you about that. Uh, it's going to be speaking about thing, everything from rescuing those in Afghanistan. Last time Wes was here, they were just setting up all their corridors to rescue people out of Afghanistan. So we're going to get an update on that. But it's also going to be speaking about rescuing children out of child trafficking and some other hard, hard topics of the day. But here's where I'm so blessed. I'm blessed that Wes can be here, that our church can partner with far-reaching ministries, that we don't just have to hear about awful things happening in the world. We can actually be a part of the solution, that we can, uh, in faith, invest in, pray for uh, this ministry as they're doing uh, a lot of the work that we just, God hasn't given us the ability to do firsthand. So I'm excited that they're here, and I'm going to give the rest of the time to Wes. Wes, come on up. Well, guys, uh, great to be here, and uh, was speaking with your pastor about uh, going into the Ukraine with us uh, next year again, We are, and we'll get into that in a moment here, and uh, you know, I told his wife there was a 68% chance he could return alive, and uh, she said that wasn't very good, so I raised it to 72, and uh, but sharing with you this morning, guys, uh, I'm going to come back and give an overview, because when we came here, we were just in the beginning, but... Uh, we have a division of our ministry, we call it Ghost Operations. It's the invisible hand into the closed world of radical Islam. And uh, we are operating in nine of the ten most dangerous Islamic countries in the world today. We have close to 400 people in the underground in these countries. And uh, it's a very dangerous situation. We have to be very careful about their identities. If they're captured, they're tortured and killed. And uh, when Afghanistan collapsed overnight, we had a tremendous problem on our hand. We had 22 people in the underground in Afghanistan with their extended families, over 200 people. I got a call from the Dutch office, and they said, Wes, they're all going to be killed for their faith. So I went down to my staff, and I said, guys, we're going in wartime operations. And uh, one week later, five former Navy SEALs would fly in, three former Marines, all special forces, one Army Green Beret, and one brother with the CIA. And we planned operations into Afghanistan. I would send in two teams simultaneously. Uh, We were 20 hours apart by land driving, but we were in the same country boarding Afghanistan. Uh, The first one would fly in at a chopper. We would land at 12,000 feet. We'd deploy Marines and SEALs. I went with the second team. We were told we're going to climb 2,000, maybe 4,000 feet, but we ended up having to climb to 11,500 feet to get to our our location, and truly the most difficult climb that any of us had ever made. There were no trails on this mountain. Uh, Nobody had ever been there before. And, uh, you know, when, when I got off the top of that mountain, folks, all of my toenails were black with the blood that was under them from the difficulty of the climb. I lost two toenails on that mountain, and I was fortunate. Mine grew back. Sometimes they don't. Uh, we had one brother by the name of Rodney. Rodney was with the elite SEAL Team 6 
uh, 22 years with the SEALs, 12 years SEAL Team 6, and 13 years with the CIA. And I think he lost three toenails on that mountain, so that tells you the difficulty of the climb. And uh, when we got to the top of the mountains, we launched our drones. And what we're looking for is what's called a rat line. A rat line is an escape route of how to get people out of a country. And there's a lot that I can't tell you guys. This is an ongoing operation. Uh, but then the Lord began to really do miracles. We got a call from Youth with a Mission. They said, our country director is in the city of Maz. The Taliban knows he's there. They're going door to door. They're going to find this guy within two hours. And guys, when they called me, I said, guys, two hours is not a lot of time. Uh, fortunately, on my staff, I have Luke. Luke spent 14 years in the Marine Corps. He was a major. He was in Special Forces, 22 years in the FBI, and just did about everything and won just about every award they have. And I also had Brent on my staff. Brent was in Second Force Recon, which is the lead of the Marine Corps Special Forces. And I said, guys, do we have any assets in this part of the world? And uh, we were able to get a hold of some Pakistani mercenaries. And an hour later, they rolled up. We grabbed the kid. We got him out of there. An hour later, Taliban was at that door. Had we not got them, they would have killed him. And then we got a call from Heather Mercer. Many of you might remember her. Very famous missionary was imprisoned by the Taliban back in 2000, released by U.S. forces when they went in in 2001. And she called and she said, I have uh, 26 people in country. They're all believers, and they'll all be killed for their faith. Uh, I did not take the call. Brent took the call, and he called me up and said, Brother, what do you want to do? I said, let's green, green light the operation. So we put together an operational team, and we went in and got all 26 of them out. But the one that surprised me the most, guys, is we got a call from Shannon Spann, Mike Spann was the first CIA officer killed in Afghanistan back in 2001. And I remember it like it was yesterday, folks. It really bothered me. Uh, Mike had been in the Marine Corps. He was in Special Forces. He was recruited by the CIA for their paramilitary organization. Shannon was also recruited by the CIA. They met at the farm, which is a training place for agents, fell in love, got married, and had three children. And Shannon called us up, and she said, I have 28 people in country. They are not believers, but they all help the U.S. government. They will all be killed for their faith. Brent had also taken that phone call. He said, Wes, what do you want to do? I said, let's green light the operation. And guys, this was a very difficult operation. We had to move them from safe house to safe house for 11 months before we could extract them out of the country. Fortunately, we were able to extract them out of the country, get them into the United Arab Emirates. And uh, Shannon had a meeting with the head of the agency, and he was able to get them from the UAE into the United States, which was a great thing. And then, uh, you know, guys, one of the things about being a believer is that <clears throat> We're called to live these exceptional lives for the gospel. And I really believe that God wants us as men to be protectors of those that do not have the ability to protect themselves and to rescue those that do not have the ability to rescue themselves. You know, one of the things that Shannon did when she called our organization, she told us, you know, being in the CIA, she said that when Afghanistan began to collapse, because of her connections, she was able to get a tremendous amount of people out of Afghanistan. But when the last U.S. aircraft left, she couldn't get anybody out of Afghanistan. And she's a very godly woman, and one night she was praying, and she said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And the Lord said, Shannon, why are you going to the world? Why are you not going to my people? She goes, Lord, I don't know your people. Well, she, the Lord gave her name of a gentleman by the name of Bob Shank. I personally do not know him, folks. Uh, he lives in this part of the world in California. He, I understand he wrote the master's program. And uh, Bob said, Shannon, you need to call Far Reaching Ministries. So she did. Well, guys, after she called us, she went and read our website. 
And if you're a Christian and you read our website, you can understand it. But as a non-believer, I think our website is very hard to understand. We're involved in five different wars around the world. Plus, we're in a war in Central and South America with the cartels. And, uh, you know, we probably look a little bit more like Blackwater than we do a foreign Christian organization. And so uh, she called up Bob and she said, Bob, who is West Bentley? Who is Brent? Who is Far Reaching Ministries? He said, Shannon, if my family were in Afghanistan, these are the two men I'd want to get them, go and get them. And guys, one of the great things after that, Shannon has been on our staff ever since. And God has really brought a tremendous team around us. Uh, I share with people the Lord has been leading us in very, speaking very clearly in certain directions. You know, guys, I've been in uh, Sudan now going on 27 years. But before that, I was a missionary in Russia for five years. Russia was always my first love. I have a real love for the Russian people. We have built seven Calvary chapels in Russia. We have two under construction right now, probably supporting 15 to 20 pastors. I don't keep track of it. And Vicky and I, my wife, just got back from Dubai. We had to fly all the Russians in there to re-equip them and retrain and, and refit them to send them back into their country. But when I went to Russia last year in January, as I was leaving, the Lord spoke to my heart, and I came home and I said, Lord, hon, I don't understand it, but the Lord told me that this season of my life of traveling to Russia is over with, that I'm not going back. And she goes, but honey, that's your favorite place in the world to go. I said, I know, but I know that I heard the Lord's voice clearly. Well, then Russia invaded the Ukraine, and we understood why. And guys, when Russia invaded the Ukraine, I actually prayed and said, Lord, are we supposed to be involved in this war? It wasn't that I didn't care, but we already had four of the wars on our hand at this time. And, uh, you know, the Lord spoke to me very, very clearly about this situation. And, uh, you know, I, I had been really praying about whether we were to go just because of the amount of war that we were involved in. But as I was praying, God was very, very clear with me on this. Just like, let me get my scripture. It's, uh, and he spoke to me in Proverbs chapter 24. And I want you to listen to this very clearly because this is a command of the church. In Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10, it says, If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weigh the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? God is very clear that we have a responsibility to rescue people. And guys, I have to say that after two years, we had uh, extracted over 1,900 people out of Afghanistan now. And uh, I had begun to pray about gearing down operations. I really did. I, You know, we, our donors have been wonderful. They've donated millions of dollars. We've rescued a lot of people. But everybody else has forgotten about Afghanistan. They've moved on. But... I was troubled by it because we kept getting letters coming in from people out there that were under extreme suffering. And uh, uh, I was traveling to get my car washed one day. This was not recently. And uh, I got to, you know, as I was driving to the car wash, I said, Lord, I, I'm just, I don't have a piece about pulling out at this time. What are we supposed to do? And I just felt like the Lord told me to turn on K-Wave radio station, so I pushed the button. And I'm listening to a gentleman talk about holding a newborn baby. And uh, the baby is only one and a half pounds. And it, the guy said that it has, a, I believe he said, a 95% chance of not surviving. Plus it had a cleft palate. And the doctor's telling this guy how important it is to hold this baby at this stage in her life, that the very act of touch gives it a much greater chance of survival. 
And uh, then he turns out that the child is in Afghanistan. And uh, Afghanistan has the worst mortality rate for children and women in the world. Out of every 1,000 babies that are born, 103 will die in Afghanistan. And it's very high for women, too, dying in that part of the world. And, uh, you know, the baby did survive. He's talking about it. It grew up and then needed an operation on its cleft palate. And so he's talking to the doctors. The doctor's doing the operation. He's actually there. And he says, what will happen to this child if you didn't fix the cleft palate? And the doctor said, she will never marry. In Afghanistan, a woman has no value whatsoever other than marriage. And if she cannot marry, she has no value in their society at all. Women are treated terribly there. And guys, we were getting a lot of calls from people. We had a, a lady over there. She was a Christian woman. Her and her husband were in Afghanistan. Her mother had immigrated to the United States. And unfortunately, her mother used a tremendous lack of discernment. She wanted to go and see her daughter. Now, that's natural to want to do. But when you're in a country like Afghanistan, you don't go visit people there. It is the wrong decision. Well, she flew to Afghanistan to see her daughter. Taliban is very anti-American. And they watched her, the house she went to, and her husband had a little shop where he repaired watches. Well, he left one day to go and get his watch repair, or to go to the shop to work, and he didn't come home. Well, the wife went to find him. The Taliban went in there, they interrogated him, and they tortured him terribly, and they killed him. And she found her husband dead in his watch shop. And the Taliban has told her that we want to marry you and your daughters off to Taliban soldiers. Well, we got a call begging us to get her out of the country, and I green-lighted the operation. I said, Brent, I don't care what it takes. Let's get this mother and let's get this young lady out of Afghanistan. You know, guys, right now when we extract someone, the prices were very high at first, but it's come down tremendously. And right now we can extract someone out of Afghanistan for about $1,500. That doesn't get them to a country or give them any money, but we can at least get them out of that part of the world. And I feel like God has told us to continue operations into Afghanistan. Uh, at one point, we had over 3,500 requests from people asking us for assistance in getting them out. And I believe that the Lord wants us to do this, and we're going to continue operations in this part of the world. I fear it's very, very essential uh, to rescue those that are being led away to death, those that are staggering towards slaughter. And I think slaughter is the perfect word for Afghanistan because when the Taliban takes someone, they don't just kill them. They torture them. They slaughter them. They're very brutal about what they do. And one of the things as believers is we're supposed to be a light of the gospel to the world. The Bible says it's the love of God that compels people under repentance. And guys, we put a lot of people in safe houses, and you have to have a lot of discernment in this area. We had a group of 18 people in a safe house, and uh, one day the Taliban rolled up in the neighborhood, and they had a child that was five years old. Well, like any child that's five years old, he sees all these men, he gets excited, and he runs outside. He gets outside, and he's talking to the Taliban soldiers, and they leave. And I get a call, and they say, there's a chance that this house might have been compromised. And I'm talking to a lot of intelligence officers that work around the world. And everybody told me, you know what, I think it's okay. Let's not worry about it. And I said, guys, I have a tremendous unpeace about that. I said, let's put together a mercenary team tonight. Let's go in and let's get those people out of there. Well, we did. The very next day, the Taliban hit that house. And had they not been gone, they would have killed all 18 of those people. And I think that operation probably cost us thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. But see, what is the life of one person worth? 
You have to look at it from that point of view. You cannot look at it at the cost of what it is. You have to do what I feel like the Lord wants us to do there. Uh, It's interesting because I had a gentleman with the American Intelligence Agency, and I'm not going to name which one it is, guys, because it might get him in trouble. But he called me up, and he said, can I come and talk to you? And I said, sure. Well, I was shocked. He got on an airplane that day, flew across the country. Five hours later, he's at my office. And he comes in, and he says, Wes, I'm with U.S. intelligence, and we can't get anybody out of Afghanistan. He goes, you're a foreign Christian organization, and you're getting a lot of people out. What are you doing? So I opened the Word of God, and I spent 45 minutes explaining to him what it meant to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And guys, one of the great things about that, when I was in Afghanistan in January uh, this last year, I got a message from him through Signal. And he sent me a message, and he said, when I first met you, I was a Catholic, and I had walked away from faith many years ago. But after meeting your people and watching the way you guys behave, I have surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the great things about this guy, he has safe houses all over Afghanistan, and he's helped us to get a lot of people out. Uh, Everybody that's been in our safe houses or has been entrusted to us, we have not lost a single person. Now, guys, I'll say there's probably been 50 people at least that we were asked to rescue, but they were not under our care, and Taliban caught them brutally tortured them and murdered them. And so we're in a rush to save as many lives as we can. Now, guys, when Ukraine happened, again, like I said, I prayed, Lord, do you want me to go in? Lord leads me into Ukraine. And there's a point that I'm bringing all of this together. Because of the wars that we were in, I really just felt like I was overwhelmed. But one of the great things is that We don't do these things in and of our own strength. We do them through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We do it through the wisdom that God gives us to direct us and to guide us. And the Lord gives us wisdom. If you will take that step of faith, he will lead you and he will guide you on how to help people. Uh, I flew to uh, Amsterdam on April 4th of last year with my wife, Vicki. On April 6th, guys, I had a dream. And I want to be very clear. It was a dream. I have walked with the Lord for 47 years. In 47 years of walking with Jesus Christ, I've only had one dream that I am positive was from the Lord. I've had two others that I think the Lord was giving me direction. And guys, I'm the type of guy that when I have a dream, I wake up, I can't, I get a tidbit. I cannot remember the dreams. It's always been that way my entire life. Well, this dream when I woke up, I could remember every part of it. In my dream, I was in the Ukraine, and I was looking for a pastor by the name of Billy Rutledge. Billy Rutledge was the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Hatteras Island. And guys, Billy is a tough guy. Billy goes to all the worst parts of the world to preach the gospel. He doesn't care what the hardship, doesn't matter how hot it is, how bad the living conditions are, he will go there to preach the gospel. And to give you an idea of how tough Billy is, I think he said he was 6'4", he might have said he was 6'2". He has cancer, and now he's 5'8". It's eaten his body that much. Yeah, and I told Billy a couple of years ago, I said, Billy, when you go to these parts of the world, I want you to call me. I'm going to buy you a business class ticket. I'll either use my bowels or I'll purchase it. But if you're willing to go on an airplane 16, mile, 16 hours, which is hell for him, his body hurts so much. I said, I, I want to give you a way to at least rest when you get on there. Well, in my dream, Billy had gone missing. Now, he was in the Ukraine, but he wasn't really missing. It was just a dream. 
And I was looking for him, and I got to a certain city, and I asked for him, and they said, he's not here. But they said, but there's a sniper here, and he's killing a lot of people. Well, guys, I used to be a professional shooter. I would shoot competition in the Marine Corps. I shot battalion and division matches. I was what was called a PMI, a primary marksmanship instructor. And my coach actually said to me one time, I wasn't a believer at the time. He goes, Wes, you are so good with weapons, I think you could shoot the Olympics. And I told him, I don't want to shoot the Olympics. I want to shoot other people. You know, that was just who I was. And uh, so in my dream, when they told me there was a sniper killing civilians, I said, I'll deal with it. And I did. I took the guy out. And I continued looking for Billy. And I got to a certain city, and I asked for him. They said, he's not here. But again, they said, there's a sniper. He's in a high-rise building, and he's shooting a lot of people. But we can't get to him because every time we get close to the building, he takes us out. And I said, don't worry, guys, I know how to deal with this. And they reiterated and said, no, you don't understand. He'll shoot you before you get in the building. I said, trust me, I know how to deal with this. And I remember that in the dream, when I entered the building, I went with another sniper, and I knew exactly who he was. Guys, since I woke up April 6th of last year, I cannot remember who I was, who he was. I don't know why the Lord wanted me to know in the dream, but I couldn't remember it after I woke up. And so I said to the guy, because it was a high-rise apartment building, I said, listen, we're going to clear this floor by floor. I'm going to take the lead, but you need to watch out because if somehow we miss him, he will come up behind us and he'll smoke us. So you better be very careful. And I started going up the stairs and I got up to the 18th floor and I rounded the corner. And being an apartment building, there was a large hallway and on the ground was loose carpet and plastic sheeting and it was moving. And my first thought, there's a sniper there. He's hiding under there. And I immediately raised my weapon to fire. And the Lord told me, don't fire. And so I kept my weapon on it, and I walked over, and I slowly reached down and pulled up the carpet because I was sure there was somebody under there with a gun. And when I pulled it up, there were five little boys under there, all between the age of about three and five years old. And they were so afraid. And I looked at the boys. I said, where are your parents? And they go, we don't know. And I go, do you boys want to come home and live with me? And guys, they all got up and they came in and they put their arms around my legs and they started hugging me. And I woke up. It was 4.30 in the morning. And I had tears coming out of my eyes. My wife, Vicky, had got up at 3.30 to study the Word. And she had never seen me cry before. She was shocked. She goes, honey, what is going on? And I reiterate the dream to the best of my ability for her. And it took me a while to compose myself, guys, because it was so real. And I said, hon... I feel like this dream has spiritual significance. Are those boys out there and I'm supposed to find them? What is the Lord saying to me? Well, the Lord did give us an interpretation through two godly men. Guys, all over the Ukraine, parents left to go get water, to get firewood, to get fuel, to get food, and they didn't come back. The elderly in the Ukraine, many have been committing suicide. Their homes are destroyed. When they got their pension, your average pension in the Ukraine is about $140 a month. A good pension is about $190 a month. And people are really struggling over there to survive. And now your home's destroyed. You don't have your pension. They don't see any way out. They're killing themselves. We set up bread lines to give away a loaf of bread and It's a quarter of a mile to a half a mile long, people waiting to get a loaf of bread. We have been feeding since the second month of the war 15,000 people a month. We have built 230 homes over there. 
We're training the Ukrainian chaplains. And guys, they're going into the war zones where people are trapped. They're going in there and getting them out where the Russians are in control. And I think they've rescued well over 500 people. We had one situation where there was a mother and a daughter that were running for their lives. And the mother was in her 60s, guys, and the daughter was in her 40s. But the daughter was mentally handicapped. She was literally mentally only about six years old. And while they were fleeing, they both got shot. They were not severe wounds, but they were shot and wounded. And they actually got to a Ukrainian-filled army hospital. They took them in. They took out the bullet. They sewed them up, and they said, you got to leave. They didn't get a meal. They didn't get to sleep for the night. They said, we have too many wounded people coming in here. And the young girl, the one that's only about mentally six years old, she talked about the fact that they had not eaten for two weeks. And one of the great things that happened is the people from the Calvary Chapel in Ukraine found them and brought them in. Since then, we have found out that the mother has two large tumors in her body. And just about maybe a month and a half, two months ago, we bought a brand new apartment for the mother and the daughter. And I told the mother, I said, listen, I want you to understand something. We think you're going to be okay. We're praying that the tumors will be benign, and when you operate, you'll be fine. But for some reason, should that not be true, we will make sure that your daughter is with a family that loves her. There will always be hot food on the table. The water will always work. The electricity will always turn on. And she'll have a warm bed to sleep in. I don't want you to worry about your daughter. And guys, if you're dying and you have nothing and you have a child, what would be your concern? I can't imagine the fear that I would have in my heart if I were dying and there was no way for me to take care of my family. It's so very, very important that we do this and stuff, you know. And as I shared with you guys, I'm not a man that's really given to emotion. You know, I mean, I've had over 71 of my staff killed in the war in southern Sudan. I've seen a lot of men die. You know, we're out there preaching the gospel under heavy wartime conditions. We're on the battlefronts with the guys. And the last time I called, it was literally cried. It was 40 years ago. I was in Garden Grove going to the In-N-Out hamburger place. And when I left, there was an extra cheeseburger in the bag, and I still get a little emotional when I think about that, you know. But that was the last time I can remember having tears in my eyes, you know, so not quite the most emotional guy. But guys, one of my favorite people in the Word of God is the prophet Jeremiah, and we're living in a time when the world is going insane, and they're trying to change our value system in America, and a lot of people don't know what to do. They go, is this correct? Should I believe it? I mean, the whole tide's going with it. You know, I had a guy not too long ago, uh, and he came up to me and he said, uh, I'm a real liberal. And I said, who is it? He goes, what do you mean? I go, easy to swim downstream. Everybody wants to be a liberal today. Who isn't a liberal? And I could tell that he felt shame, which he needed to feel shame, guys. But see, Jeremiah warns us about what's going on for this day and age. In Jeremiah chapter 6, in verse 16, he says, This is what the Lord says. Now, not what I say. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. Guys, one of the things that I tell my guys in Africa, when you know what the right thing to do is, do it immediately. Because if you do not, you will compromise in your relationship with the Lord. And guys, We've been going out and feeding people, and we started going door-to-door because we realized there were a lot of elderly that couldn't get out. They were too handicapped. We got to one house, and 
This mother, grandmother tells us that she had planned to kill herself that day to commit suicide. She said that her first daughter had been killed in a car accident about five or six years ago. But she said that her second daughter was in her apartment when the Russians invaded, and a rocket hit her apartment and vaporized her daughter. They couldn't find anything at all. So she was going to kill herself. Well, fortunately, we led her to Christ, and she's doing fine now. But see, that's what it is. It's the hope of the gospel that we take to a lost world. You know, Jeremiah gives us a clear understanding of why he had such a successful walk with the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16, he talks about his walk with the Lord. And he says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers. I never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was heavy upon me. And guys, this is the way we should be as believers. The Lord's hand should be upon us. We should not feel comfortable in participating in the things of this world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And one of the things that we need to realize, we're living in a time where many people in ministry are building their own kingdom or their own ministry. They're not building God's kingdom. They're not giving the glory to God. You know, I see missionaries, they go to the field. They spend one year out there, and then they write their book, their great mission exploits after being one year on the mission field. Now, it's never published by a real publisher. It's self-published. And between the few they give away or the few they sell, it has a distribution of about 75. Why? It's not a work of the Holy Spirit. Guys, a lot of you don't remember it. I'm much older than some of you, but when Brother Andrew's work came out, you know, some 45 years ago, it sold in the tens of millions of copies. Why? It was a work of the Holy Spirit. I've had many people try to get me to write a book, and I actually had a Hollywood producer that met with me and my wife and spent about 10 hours with us trying to convince us to do this Rambo-style movie about my life, and I told him no. And I said, you don't understand. I'm not the hero. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes, Wes, I'm giving you what everybody dreams of. I said, everybody that's carnal. The Bible says that no flesh shall glory in the presence of God. And guys, it's important what we do and how we do it. If you are involved in ministry, the Bible says that many people would say ministry is a way of gain. Godliness is a way of gain. Godliness is a way of getting rich. As believers, we are supposed to be his messengers to a lost world. And a lot of people say, I don't know what God's will is. Well, 98% of God's will is written right there. It tells you what to do. Girl into the world and make disciples of all men. One of the things that we have decided to do, guys, is we're starting a new organization called Dreadnought. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. I'm going to take a turn here real quickly. We just have too much going on in the world. We're in 38 countries, guys, so I can barely touch on things, the most severe of them. We got a message from Pastor Joe Foch in Philadelphia. He asked Luke to look into this orphanage. So we did, and it's an area in South and Central America where children are being sold into the sex trafficking trade. What is happening down there is a lot of parents are so poor, they'll have seven kids and they go, well, we need to sacrifice one, so we'll sell one to the sex trade. Or they're selling them to the cartels. In our orphanage, we have a little girl, she's three years old, She needs reconstructive surgery on the front and the back from all the rape that she's gone through. I have a little girl that's nine years old, 
She told us that when she was about six years old, her father started bringing five or six men home every night, and they would watch her shower. And then these men would sodomize this child. And she said it was so painful that she would pass out. And you think that they would say, what am I doing? But no, they'd splash her with water, wake her up, and do it again. Guys, she is HIV positive, and she also needs reconstructive surgery on the front and the back. One of the things that I have found over the years is a lot of people think what we're sharing with them can't be true. A Christian ministry couldn't do these type of things. That's just not possible. And I think people think that we embellish or we lie. So I've started to take a lot of pastors with me. And one of the things that every pastor says to me when they go overseas, they go, Wes, you've understated everything. It is much bigger than you said. Well, we took three Calvary pastors with us to a place where the children are being sold. Gabriel captured on camera a transaction with one of the traffickers. He had two federal law enforcement agents, and Gabriel's our undercover guy. I can't give you his real name. And there's a river where you go to buy the children. Guys, there's actually a restaurant up in this area, and you walk into a restaurant, and they hand you a menu, and you open it up, and it says, five-year-old girl, virgin, $5,000. Five-year-old boy, virgin, never been touched before, $5,000. Now, after the first time, it's much cheaper. But this is the perversion that's going on. And they caught on camera. We have it. We're going to release it. This trafficker thinks that we're the predators. And he says, I can bring you eight girls. I promise you that they're all pure virgins. There's a waterfall near here that you can take them and rape them. And nobody will hear the screams. And when he said that, One of the law enforcement officers wanted to see how far they would go, and he said, but they'll see our faces. He goes, people drown here all the time, and the water is full of crocodiles. So he was saying for about $300 a child, he would let you rape them, he would drown them and murder them, and the crocodiles would remove the evidence. And this is the world that we're dealing in today. And see, one of the things is we're raising generations of effeminate men today. Men aren't supposed to be like this, guys. As men, we were made for battle. We were made to be in the thick of it. In the South Sudan, I trained the chaplains for the South Sudan Army. One in every seven guys that I have trained has been killed for the gospel. They've been on the front lines. Guys, all of my men are armed, and all of us go into battle. And the reason we do this, we're not out there to start a war, but these people are coming to murder women and children. Women are made sex slaves. Once they're captured, we, we got one woman that was in slavery for three years. We estimated she was raped somewhere between three and 5,000 times in the three years she was in slavery. And I believe that God has called us to protect them. Now, we have a video here we're going to show you. I want you to be aware of the eyes of some of these children. They're sweet kids, but they've seen things they shouldn't see. Hey, guys, there's a little girl playing a piano in this video, and I want you to remember her. See, this is our home. And we want you to understand what happens after we get the kids. Let's go ahead and show that. You know, guys, when we uh, take on a new country, I always send Luke in there to vet it. Being in the FBI, I want to make sure that we're not being played. Someone's not tricking us with things. And uh, Luke is extremely good at this. And uh, Luke called me one day, or I called Luke one day, and I could hear something in his voice. And I go, bro, what's going on? He said, I thought I had seen everything, and he had been in everything in the FBI. I said, what happened? He goes, there was a raid, 
They were too late. There were two toddlers on a table. Their bodies were still warm. They had been filleted open. And the internal organs, the liver and the heart, are missing. And guys, they're not killing the children to sell the organ to someone with a failing organ. But superstitious people are flying in to eat them because they think it makes them live longer. When was it okay to kill a child to live longer? How did that ever become acceptable in our society? And guys, when I was flying into Afghanistan last year, I was on Turkish Airlines, and this is what I mean by the Holy Spirit speaking. And I'm flying in and I'm praying, and I feel like the Lord gives me this image and says, I want you to start an organization. And the word that he spoke to my heart was like Interpol, but to rescue people in the last days. Now, Interpol is an international agency that helps law enforcement around the world. So I get into the Afghan mountains. Lord just spoke it to me. I told nobody anything. I'm up there running around. I got my sniper weapon. Brent's got his sniper weapon. And I've shared nothing with anyone. And Brent says to me, Brother, have you ever thought about starting an international organization like Interpol, but to rescue believers in the last days? So I called Luke. I said, Luke, what do you think about this? He goes, i got 22 years of experience in this. And he says, Wes, there are people in the CIA, the State Department, the FBI, many agencies around the world that all believe that we need something like this because our world has become so corrupt. And guys, we're going to start an organization called Dreadnought. Dreadnought was the name of a World War I battleship. What it means is fears nothing. It's going to be Dreadnought Jehovah Sabbat, which basically means the God's armies in heaven fear nothing. And we're going to start rescuing these children. And we're going to deal with these predators. See, one of the things that we need to realize is that there is a higher law. And when our country passes laws that are perverse, that are wrong, we're not supposed to follow that. We follow a higher law, which is God's law. And I really believe that God has called us to protect these children. As you leave tonight, we want to give you an opportunity. And first of all, guys, I want to say something here. We're an extremely large organization. It's like Paul said, not that we might receive, but that you might store your treasures in heaven. We have these children either from Central and South America or they're in the Ukraine. They're orphans. We bought two new orphanages we're reconditioning right now. And I've asked your pastor to go with me to see this work. It's a great work. You can sponsor a child for $75 a month, and you will get a yearly update telling you how the child is doing. Now, we want you to be aware, guys. I am very aware there are people out there that you are on a fixed income, and it's everything you can do to make ends meet, and you're tithing. You've done your part. You don't need to do any more. God bless you for your heart. What we want you to do is pray for us. We don't want anyone to take this out of their tithing. It would be wrong to do it. Your church needs your tithing. This is for people that God has blessed financially above and beyond normal people. And if you're one of those people and you want to sponsor a child, then it's $75 a month. We also have our potatoes for grandmothers. And these are the elderly people in the Ukraine. And we need to raise at least three or four sponsors for each of these people. Money's all going to them just to feed them. And you will also get an update on your grandmother if you choose to sponsor one of these. Also $75 a month. 
But then, guys, we have what we call our ghost operations. These are the people that are either in radical Islamic countries or they're in very bad areas of the cartel. We've got quite a, we have one pastor down in Mexico. It's in one of the worst places where the cartel is. He's planted eight churches down there so far. There's another pastor between first, second, and third generation churches. They have planted 50 churches. And these are the people that we want to sponsor. And guys, it's also $75. Now, I'm sharing this because people ask me every single Sunday, they'll say, what if I want to do all three, Wes? Well, first of all, I'm not asking you to do that. But if you're one of these unusual people, you tithe, and God has just given you a blessing of abundance of income, and you want to store treasures in heaven, then it's 225. Now, guys, you cannot pick them up and walk away with them. They're numbered. I will not know if they're sponsored. You have to fill out name, address, phone number, sign it at the bottom. We write the numbers down of what you've sponsored. Voided checks work best for us because we don't pay fees on it. But you can also use a debit or a credit card for this. Uh, we're out here on the side. We're also at the back. In closing this evening, the greatest privilege of my life has been to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, I am extremely good with money. I have invested well, and I could retire right now and have an easy life. I really could. I could move down to Mexico and buy a house on the ocean and go out and buy a fancy sports car. But see, Paul said, when he talked about going to heaven, he said, I want to go, but it's far better that I'm here with you. And I want to bring it back to that little girl now. When we went into this part of the world, it was my wife, Vicki, that kept trying to get me to go. I said, Vicki, I don't want to go. I got Luke down there. I got Brent. They, Edward, David, Zavala, they, they, they've handled this. She goes, honey, I, I really think you need to go. She finally talked me into it. We went down there together. And that little girl that's playing the piano is so much smaller in real life than she is in the video. When I heard about the abuse that this child went through, it would take a lifetime of abuse for most people to go what she's done. There was such a sweetness about her and innocence of purity. But I will say that Gabriel has done a wonderful job with those children. We took them to a mall to buy them all new clothes. Then we went to McDonald's for a Happy Meal, and then we went to an ice cream parlor to get them ice cream. In the three and a half hours we had them near, not one child misbehaved, not one of them cried out, not one of them wandered off. Gabriel's done an amazing job with these children. I was so impressed with them. They got so excited to go up the escalators, and they squilled when they got on the elevator. They'd never been on an elevator before, and it was like Disneyland for them. They kept wanting to go back and up and down, but they asked, and we would take them up and down. I believe that for some of you guys, you're going to get on the other side of eternity, and someone's going to walk up to you and say, I was a child, and you rescued me. You protected me from the predators. See, guys, we're not giving these kids backs. If we have to go to guns, we're going to guns. But I will not give these children back to these predators. It's not going to happen. 
And I believe that there are things in this life that are worth dying for. And if I have to sacrifice my life so that one of these children can survive, I will consider that a very good deal, a real privilege. The greatest privilege of my life has been to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want it to be the greatest privilege of your life. My prayer is that one day I'll stand in front of a holy God, and I'll look into his eyes for the first time, and I'm going to hear him say, Son, well done. Well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. And guys, I don't want you to miss that. It's for every believer. Pastor, would you come up and close? God bless you, folks. Wes, I, I might have ran out when you announced it, but maybe I missed it. How many have been rescued out of Afghanistan to date? 1,900. Uh, so I, I'll tell you this. It's, it's a privilege for our church to be numbered among you at far-reaching ministries. And uh, if you have more questions, you can feel free to ask them. I'll tell you, uh, as I have spent time with those in far-reaching ministries, uh, many are pastors who were church planters who have joined with far-reaching ministries. Luke Beebe, who uh, was, uh, he was mentioned, uh, former Marine Special Forces, FBI. I drove with him across the country of Uganda. And uh, he has, you know, obviously he's, he's lived an interesting life. But you know what we talked about? The scriptures the whole time. Uh, it's just a privilege to, to know these godly people and to know what God is doing through them to rescue those in need. And so um, I encourage you to, t- to talk to all the far-reaching ministries. Thank them for coming to our church at the very least, least uh, encourage them in their ministry that they're doing. Pray for them. Ask them how you can pray for them. And uh, feel free to check out the sponsorship for those, uh, the, the children and, and the uh, ghost operations. Uh, they, they definitely need your support. That said, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll have the worship team come back up. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for far-reaching. I thank you for Wes and the vision that you've given to him, Lord. And God, I know personally you have spoken to me through dreams before. And clearly, Lord, you've called Wes to, to not abandon the, the previous ministries, but maintain those and move into new territories. And with that, Lord, I pray for your protection upon each and every uh, member of FRM as they risk themselves to rescue children. Lord, may they be like your mighty men who uh, were not afraid of the battle in front of them, but trusted in the Lord their God. So I pray, Lord, that you would give them the grace and the mercy to deal with uh, these hard stories to hear. And we've only heard a couple, but, oh, it rends my heart, Lord, to hear these things. So, Lord, I pray that you might give them your peace and your mercy, that you might comfort them as they deal with the evils of humanity. Lord, we thank you for them, that they're able to be in such a place to rescue these children. And, Lord, I pray that they would not get there too late, but Lord, they might get there early, Lord, that you might use them mightily. I pray, Lord, that uh, these individuals who love you, that, that your angels and the armies of heaven would begin to strike fear in the hearts of these evildoers, Lord, that you might go before them. We thank you, dear God, for your love for these children. We thank you for your love for us, and we pray, Lord, that as the days grow closer to your return, we might continue to let our light shine before men. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
Uh, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. May God's peace be with you. May he direct your steps this week. Amen.